Hello and welcome to Move the Line, presented by 444.com. I'm Ryan Noonan. Joining me here, as always, fellow 444.com writer, Connor Allen. What's going on, bud? Not too much, man. Uh, excited to chop up the NFC East with you and uh, you know break it down from a betting perspective, look at a bunch of player props, you know, dive into that. Should be a good time. Yeah, we're excited. We're starting basically, this is the runway towards week one and uh, kicking it off with the NFC East preview like Connor mentioned. And I think at the top, Connor, that's, we're talking about like the runway we're going to take is division by division on the way to the start of the season because this is an optimistic program. And we're going to have football in week one. Week one, baby. Football, we're about to watch just – some awesome, awesome, super sloppy football, but it's going to be there. And it's I'm optimistic that the greediest league in maybe the entire world and greediest organization in the entire world makes this happen. Absolutely. I don't know that I'm necessarily optimistic with anything else that's going on, uh, <laughs> but I, in this little sphere that we want to stay in, we're going to just, for the sake of these shows and for the sake of our sanity and our fantasy teams and our bets – we're going to pretend like this is just 16 games are going to happen. Um, stay with us. Hang out in the uh, circle of optimism. Uh, shut off the outside world and uh, all the other stuff that's going on and, and stay with us here. We're we're excited to uh, to get going. This is something we enjoy doing every year. And as you said, we're basically looking about nine, ten weeks away from the start of the regular season. We'll knock out these eight episodes and then be with you for our week one preview show. I can't wait. feels like it's... Uh, further than it is when you consider really how slow the rest of the world has been for the last four months. Uh, football is is right there. So uh, NFC East, man, let's just kind of overview before we dig in. Um, you know, Eagles coming off of uh, the division win last year, 9-7. and seven, uh, Definitely feels like there's the Cowboys and the Eagles. Head and shoulders a little above everyone else there. Uh, Giants and Redskins, really, with three new coaches um, Eagles with, you know, Peterson, his fifth year there. Um, everyone else is got a new coach. So um, just give me your 30-second big picture NFC East before we start to go team by team. Yeah, I think you said it pretty well. Um, that's an interesting note about the the new coaches there. I didn't really look at it from that, from, uh, that perspective there besides diving in to each specific team. But, you know, as a whole, I think that, you know, the Cowboys are favored for a good reason, and the Eagles are right behind them. Um, I think that even if you like the Eagles to perform well this season, taking them uh, to win the division, you know, might not be a good decision. So I think we'll, we'll dive, that down, dive into this further uh, as we break each team down. All right, let's get started. All right, buddy. First up, we'll talk about the Cowboys. Uh they are the favorites to win the division, um, minus 106, a win total pretty much across the board in 9.5 still, although it's been getting a lot of action on the over, juiced up pretty much everywhere, minus 150 on the over at 9.5 over at DK Sportsbook. Um, they are minus 260 to make the playoffs. Another thing, too, here interesting is we have the expanded playoffs this year. Right, We have that seventh team for each, so that definitely changes how the odds to make the playoffs, how we need to look at those uh, when they pop up. Odds to win the NFC East, as we said, minus 106, minus 105 on FanDuel. Um, odds to go to the Super Bowl, win the NFC, plus 850, and odds to win the whole thing, 
uh, right around 17 to 1 in most places. So really good draft for the Cowboys. Mentioned the coaching change at the top. Obviously, Mike McCarthy in his first year after a year layoff. Uh, talked about grinding tape and uh, reading spreadsheets in the offseason. He was going to be an analytical coach moving forward. Pate <laughs> uh, thinks he sold Jerry a, a bag of goods there. I don't know that that's necessarily what's going to be happening. But uh, Kellen Moore staying on as offensive coordinator. Some cohesiveness there. And uh, Mike Nolan coming in to handle the defense. There is the question, really, with the Cowboys. This offense is loaded. What can the defense do? Can they keep up? Um, Because otherwise, I think that they really are the bell of the ball here. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a lot of the points that I thought were really key about this team, especially the coaching change here. Something that I think we need to key in on here with Jason Garrett that um, will be good for the Cowboys with him leaving is that his lack of adjustments in the second half. I know Warren Sharp has talked about that um, a bunch on Twitter, um, but you see it in their overall um, their overall standing here. One in six in one-score games last year, and that's been um, a metric that tends to regress year over year. So, I mean, even if it doesn't end up being like, you know, five and two or six and one the year after, it'll probably end up evening out closer to half and half this season. Um, and I think with a few adjustments from – uh, Mike McCarthy, who you said has, you know, whether he actually is or not, you know, taking an analytics analytical approach, I think that it should be a step up from Jason Garrett. You're keeping on Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. So, yeah, I, I'm expecting big things from this team. I think that they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender um, and that this offense could take a big step forward um, even with C.D. Lamb here. I mean, they're replacing, um, you know, like a, a dead Jason Witten, basically. Um who, uh, I mean, with Lamb, who should see a ton more, who should see a ton of work here in this one. So I think that this is an offense that we should all be optimistic on. This is a team that we should be optimistic on, and taking them to win the Super Bowl is, you know, very reasonable. I am holding a Dak Prescott MVP ticket. We talked about that before on our awards show. Uh, it's 16 to one, uh, and I feel pretty good about it. I think they're going to keep airing it out with Kellen Moore. And we saw him last year, you know, put up 4,900 passing yards. Um, and I think that he comes c- close to that this year, or even maybe more uh, with the addition of C.D. Lamb. Yeah, the additions there. C.D. Lamb uh, for Randall Cobb basically is is a massive upgrade. And then obviously, you know, the tight end upgrade too with just losing Jason Witten. Um, yeah, the offense isn't the problem. You know, I was looking, I wrote up, uh, the over on the Cowboys over at uh, at FTN, and I did a little bit of deep dive in that and saw that the Cowboys, their special teams last year were just abysmal, like hmm. awful, awful in like um, starting field position for the offense, starting field position on defense. Like they were really, really bad, like 28th to 31st in basically everything. So any sort of... You know, and I don't know what the long-term statistics are to see if that's sticky year to year, but uh, imagine with the entire coaching change. You know, obviously we mentioned Kellen Moore staying, but um, you know, a new special teams coordinator there. Maybe they could take a step forward. And those little things like that's the hidden yardage. You know, looking at things like that. You know, we talk about turnover rate and how that can be impactful, but you know, starting field position is something that can massively impact wins and losses over the course of a season. We're not looking for much here for them to have some gains to get back towards the middle of the pack. They don't have to become an elite special teams unit, but if they can get better, that could be huge. 
Um, yeah, I love your DAC, your DAC uh, MVP pick there. I know that that's taken some action, moved down to about 12 to 1 everywhere else, but 16. I know there were some, some yeah, uh, 20 20s. pluses out there, yeah. I know in front of the show, Anthony Amico has one of those, which is a really nice, a nice bet. Um, how about on the player prop side? I know you've done some work with all of our projections here at 4 for 4, um, looking at some of the things that we see projection-wise versus the market, um, whether it's Dak, Zeke, uh, Cooper, some of the guys that pop typically from a player prop standpoint. What jumped out to you? Yeah, I mean, so in terms of what I actually like here, the Dak passing yards is at 4,275. Um, our projection at 4 for 4 has them at 4,783. Uh, and I think that that is about right, if not even too low. Like, you know, they upgraded their weapons, as we just talked about, and he threw for whatever, 700 more yards than his line was. Uh, and so, I mean, I just don't really see why they're putting it at 4,200. Like, this is like at least 200, 300 yards too short um, of a line, in my opinion. So I like the over here, you know, pretty substantially. Um, and I don't think it's really going to be all that close to be entirely honest. So yeah, I like the over there. Uh, Zeke's rushing yards is at 1275 and a half. Um, I don't really have too much of a bet, but I would probably lean over. Um, and just a, a side note here, we've talked about this before, but betting overs on running backs is really difficult because they're one of the most oft injured positions. And that's one of the easiest outs towards the under. So, you know, even if Zeke is crushing it for 10 games of the season, um, rushes for you know 100 yards a game for 10 games. He still doesn't hit the over here if he gets injured in week 11, uh, and that's one of the unfortunate parts about this is there's no injury clause for season-long player prop bets. So in general, it is smarter to take the under on a lot of these. Um, the one caveat is though is like you know for Dak Prescott, if our projection is 500, 600 yards off, um, then I think that that makes a big enough difference where he can afford to miss a couple of games and still realistically hit that over potentially. Um, but yeah, I guess in terms of the offense there, those were, I mean, the Dak one is my biggest one, but there's also a Cooper 1050 yards as well as a CD lamp, 700 and a half. I'm not sure if you have takes on any of those. I'm biased now. If some Cooper shares that I'm (laughs) invested in that I want to make sure are very productive. So, um, I'm leaning over on the Cooper thing. Uh, Lamb, that's generous. Our four for four projections basically have it 210 yards over. Uh, what the prop market says, which is interesting. I mean, look, I mean, that was a slam dunk pick in the draft. Just no-brainer, not thinking about positional needs or scarcity. They took the absolute best player on the board at a position that they're loaded at. They went out and obviously brought Cooper back, giving him a contract in the offseason. You know, Michael Gallup's entering his third year, really emerged last year. He's a stud. Um having these three guys is incredible. So I, you know, from a a production standpoint, do they hurt each other? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's, we know that the concept of people being double teamed is really overrated anyway. Like you just schematically can't be singling out someone and double teaming them, um, you know, from a man to man perspective. So these guys are going to eat all of them. That's kind of why I think I'm with you on the deck. I got to be bullish on the DAC yeah. number. It's a little short. These guys are all just yak monsters too. So, um, yeah, I almost I think, think that they like averaged his like career like our last three years out to get this number. Um, just to be honest, because like it's like before you know his first few years of the 
few years of his career, like he was basically used as a game manager. They were running the ball a ton, and then they opened it up a lot with uh, Kellen Moore as offensive coordinator last year. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that that like just doesn't really make much sense to me. I'm on the over there, but what's I think what's worth noting is like Cooper, Gallup, and Lamb in our projections are all within 200 yards of each other. So we have Cooper at 1,100, Gallup at 1,050, and then Lamb at 900. Um, I mean, is that unrealistic to happen this year? I feel like that that is actually kind of within, you know, that's in play here. It is in play. Um, I would think there's probably a little bit more ceiling to Cooper, but again, he can be so hit and miss at times and because they don't necessarily need him because they have two legitimate options without him. And like you said earlier, like like Jarwin's an upgrade. Um, you know, they've utilized Dak, I'm sorry, uh, Zeke, you know, here and there as a, as a pass catcher as well. So they might not need Cooper to necessarily hit the ceiling, but I mean the massive upside there is is huge. I would I like him, um, his over in the prop market being at you know ten fifty. I like him closer to our projections. Feels like a, a nice twelve hundred yard season for him. I'm just I'm massively in on this team. Um, yeah, I just I feel like they are head yeah. and shoulders above everyone else in this division. So I think I think the question is too like so. Um, you know, I like their win total over nine and a half too, right? But so at minus one fifty, are you still on that, or is that too much juice for you? Like, are you waiting to see a better number? What's uh, what's your play? No, it's too much juice. Too much I think juice. Just fr- yeah. Just from like a rule of thumb. Like yeah. I just, and, you mm-hmm. know, I don't think there'd be many circumstances where I'd want to pay that much juice for four months out. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of where I'm at too. Is that I like the the over here on the win total. I think they are a double digit win team. But, I mean, minus 150 is tough. Uh, maybe you can chop around and find a better number somewhere else. But, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a bit steep for me. For, like, win totals for me, I'm generally, you know, if I see anything above, like, minus 125, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical. That would be kind of, like, that's generally my pushing point there. Agreed. Yeah, I don't want to see 130s. But the schedule is so nice to start. I mean, they open up at the Rams. Um, Rams, home to the Falcons. At Seattle, uh, that probably stands out as the potential L to start. And home to the Browns and the Giants um, and the Cardinals. So three straight weeks Okay, home. wow. Uh, and then at the Redskins or the Washington football team, which I guess we'll address <laughs> later. But, uh, to yeah, be having, named, yeah. Yeah, having four really easy home games in the first seven weeks uh, in, in winnable you know, road tilts as well. That's really, really beneficial. So bullish on the Cowboys. I'm interested to see as we move on here to talk about the Eagles. Um, this is a team that you've been on pretty consistently since we started the show three years ago. Win total uh, nines, nines and a half. Um, starting to get some, you know, some juice there on the under at nine and a half. Um, I know you can mentioned here you can grab a nine uh, with minus 134 on the over. Uh, odds to make the playoffs here minus 188. Odds to win this division at plus 140. If they're going to go to the Super Bowl, you can get them at plus 1,000. And then to win the whole thing, they are 19 to 1. So a um, little bit more difficult schedule for the Eagles. Again, we mentioned here in the year of continuity, it's something we've talked about before. We've talked about it offline. It's something that we're looking to, to take advantage of. Just this season is going to be so different. We don't really have the off-season schedule that we're used to. We're not going to have the preseason schedule that we're used to. There's just going to be different limitations in this 
world of COVID. So having continuity is something we want to, um, you know, be bullish on. And obviously the Eagles in relation to the rest of the teams in this division, they have that. They have, again, some continuity at the top. Um, This secondary has really been a question mark for years. They added Darius Slay in the offseason, which was nice. Um, They had some offensive line shuffling that they've had, which is, I think, pretty interesting. And again, we just need pass catchers to stay healthy. Um, That's obviously a key point here. So let's uh, get started. Talk to me about the Eagles. Yeah, I think that if the Cowboys, you know, weren't looking up so much and like didn't have such an optimistic outlook, at least in our point of view, I would be way more excited about the Eagles, like in terms of betting the division and betting on them, you know, potentially to win the, the Super Bowl here. I think that's still in play, but Oh man, it's it's tough for me because I like the Cowboys a lot this year, as we just talked about. Um, but I, I mean, the Eagles got better than last year, and hopefully that they're going to be healthy uh, with their receivers. I mean, they were rolling out like Greg Ward last year, and they led the league in 12 personnel at 52 percent, which is like almost 20 percent higher than the closest next next closest team. It's because you know they they needed to play their two best players, like Ertz and Goddard, you know, at that point, which were their best pass catchers. Um, because they're rolling out just a bunch of bum wide receivers, so still might yeah. be the case though. Yeah, still might I, be their best two pass catchers. Yeah, might well, see, I think still that, see a that's twelve. That's fair. I think they're they're still going to play a lot of twelve, but you know the guys that they're rolling out outside and potentially in the slot is uh going to be a little bit upgraded here. And you know, like Jalen Rager drafting him, I thought that he is he was a pretty excellent addition uh, for this patch pass catching court Deshaun Jackson it seems like they're just going to give him a slap on the wrist for you know all of his uh, uh interesting comments which you know he was very very clearly misguided and um were you know ignorant to say the least but um yeah so it seems like he's no you know there's not going to be any issues with him in terms of discipline so he'll probably play Rager's going to be there Jeffrey I don't really know I feel like no one's really talking about him because, I don't know, he's kind of done. He's kind of been in and out with injuries. But for me, I, I just don't really think that he's much of an asset at this point. Um, but then, yeah, Ertz and Goddard potentially are, I guess, are probably their two best pass catchers at this point um, before Rager really comes into his own. Yeah, I think you're going to still see a ton of 12 formation, and, and rightfully so. I mean, they're both excellent pass catchers. And putting a whole lot of faith in, in you know, in, in Jalen Rager, who I think is a talented wide receiver. Um, but as far as a guy that, like, they really need him to step in and be the man. As you mentioned, I mean, Alshon looks like he's probably going to start on pop. Um, I don't know what's left in that tank to begin with. I mean, Marquise Goodwin was a guy that flashed a couple years ago in San Francisco and then it fell off the face of the earth. And, um, you know, they they tried to give everyone Dante Pettis' job last year. Marquise <laughs> Goodwin couldn't even throw his hat in the ring. Um, you know, they're obviously going to need Deshaun Jackson to stay healthy as well, um, which you know, is interesting to know if they're making their just Deshaun decisions based on, like, they, this roster needs <laughs> they, this roster needs 16 games from Deshaun. I think they really need speed, though. Like, that's the thing. It's like now they, they have... They have Goodwin or yeah Goodwin and they have Rager and they have Jackson who are all like you know four four blessed guys hopefully you know um, yeah. and so I think that they really know like 
they need a guy to stretch the field to open up the middle of the field for guys like Ertz and Goddard who are, you know, very good chain movers and have some athleticism as well, mostly Goddard. But, um, yeah, I, I do think that they really just stress the importance of having that, like, deep threat there because we saw last year. I mean, like, there was just, like, you know, no one open at times, guys dropping passes. And, like, basically, that that's – Wentz was just, like, gridlock there. Oh, yeah. It was awful. And we need him to stay healthy too. You know, that's definitely obviously, you know, not to be uh, understated here. That's been something that's been a uh, tipping point for them and their success the last couple of years. You know, obviously, bad luck in the playoffs to, you know, get hit like he did to have to leave that one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Miles Sanders is going to be interesting. They've had lots of opportunities so far to add additional players. They have not. Um, Devonte Freeman rumors have seemed to come and go. Um, you know, he's got some player props out here in the market that seem very interesting in relation to what we think his projection total could look like if he happens to be the bell cow. I mean, early in the season, like they were using him like deep down the field, not like your typical running back targets. <laughs> he was getting like, you know, a dot targets. Yeah. Um, watching those games. It was, it was impressive. And he's a talented back. I'm, I'm hoping that they, want to lean on him a little bit more because we like what we saw but um, what are your thoughts on his props and some of the other props that are available yeah i mean his his rushing pop prop it all depends on if you're gonna if we think we're gonna see like a running back by committee um i think that the argument that you know doug peterson only has used a running back by committee is kind of moot because of the running backs that he had right like um, I think that there is some validity to the coaching argument of using running backs by committee, but then you have to, you know, contextualize that with who his running backs were. And when you put it in that perspective, like, did he ever have a guy that could really do it all, that could, is capable of carrying the load? And I think that the definitive answer is pretty much no. So I think that Sanders has that upside. Um, I don't really see him necessarily being a full on bell cow, you know, right away, but I think that he can definitely stretch the, the limits of what people are imagining um, in terms of his touch range. So a thousand and a half rushing yards is his prop. I'd lean over there um, because I do think that he is used like, you know, is the majority early down back, at least until they sign a veteran. And I think they do. I, I really do think that they'll sign a guy like, um, you know, Devonta Freeman potentially, you know, wind up acquiring, um, you never know a guy like Leonard Fournette. who knows? I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. Oof. Uh, I mean, that would be, you know, a real, real issue for Sanders value, I think, potentially. But, um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm kind of on the over there. Also, there's a prop combined. It's like 1,375 rushing rece- receiving yards. Um, I like the over there. I think that that's definitely interesting because Sanders is, um, you know, a pretty good pass catcher as well, obviously. And like you said, was seeing some targets, you know, deep downfield. So um, I think that Sanders is someone to look out for in the prop market. It's, it's not something that I'm super excited about right now. Again, like I don't take a bunch of running back overs, um, so it's something I'm probably not on. Uh, Carson Wentz, though, 3,900 yards. Um, man, a uh, friend of the show, Joey Kanish, sent me Caesars lines, opening lines of player props a couple of months back, and they were floating Wentz at like 3,500 yards. God, it's a 3,900 now. You know, I like literally texted him back immediately and was like, yo, like max that. I will, you know, PayPal you, whatever their maximum is to hit the over here. He had over 4,000 yards last year, as we talked about, with literally, you know, no legitimate wide receivers to catch the ball. 
Um, and so this year, I think with a full, you know, cupboard of pass catchers, he should be able to, I mean, eclipse 4,000 yards fairly easily is what, what I would say here. Um, but I w- he's probably my biggest lean on this team in terms of the, um, in terms of props. We have him at 4,140 yards at four for four. Um, I, the next biggest disparity would be actually Dallas Goddard. The over-under on him is 475.5 yards, which seems like really low. Um, I mean, he had over 600 last year, and maybe that was because of the 12, the amount of 12 they used. But like we said, right, like they should use a lot of 12 again. I think that's kind of the point is because he is one of their better pass catchers, and um, he's flashed at times, and like 475 yards is a really low barrier. I mean, that's like nothing. Um, Even if they don't use traditional 12, like, they could just straight up use one of those big guys slot, in the right? slot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, because look at the outside. I mean, you talked about speed. Like if it's Rager and and uh, and Deshaun, like no Alshon for a little bit, they don't really have that that other guy. I mean, Greg Ward's still in the roster, so it could be him. But like doing anything you can to get Ertz and Goddard on the field at the same time makes a lot of sense. I mean, they are they're a mismatch for. Uh, for where they're going to match up, so yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good call. It's massively, yeah. massively under. Yeah, so I like the over there for sure. Um, you know, I haven't gotten down on that yet, but like going through all this stuff, like I'm breaking down, you know, a lot of these prior to the show, and I will have a ticket on that for sure. Like that's something that I think is pretty, you know, like you said, it's it's, it's a pretty bad line. I think it should be closer to like. I don't know, 550, maybe 600 at this point, to be honest. Like, I think there's still, like you said, like a legitimate chance he takes another step forward. Um, sure. And that not even that, like, he's used less. Like, he's a, an ascending guy, a guy that potentially could take away from Ertz's snaps um, or, or, you know, like Ertz's playing time if he continues to play better. I'm not saying that that's likely, but I think there's it's definitely within the range of outcomes. And, like, the upside here, not necessarily that's useful for props now, but, like, I think the upside is super high, too. Um, if Ertz were to see an injury or have any kind of, you know, issues, um, like Goddard, there were multiple instances last year where Ertz didn't play. And I thought that, you know, Goddard saw plenty of usage and, um, was a, a viable fantasy option there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the under here though. Um, we didn't note at the top, but it's worth noting that the NFC East is, is playing against the, um, the NFC West and the AFC North this year. And those are some difficult divisions. That have improved, and even their cellar dwellers are, are kind of on the calm. They benefit again from obviously playing two games against the Giants, two games against Washington. It's a little bit, um, you know, going to help inflate their their win total, at least their upside. But I, the defense still worries me. I mean, uh, Darius Slay is solid, and obviously compared to what they've had in the past, he's an upgrade. Losing Malcolm Jenkins though, heading he's heading back to the Saints. That's a massive loss for them. They're kind of just playing shuffleboard back there like Jalen Mills um, corner in the past is going to apparently move to safety they got some other just previous draft pick disappointments that are going to be lining up at corner opposite Darius Slay so um, yeah just this defense is solid up front they were um, 16th against the pass in DVOA last year fourth against the run I think they'll continue to be stout against the run but the secondary makes me nervous again especially when you're looking at the Cowboys, those are two massive games on their schedule in determining who wins this division. Uh, how are they matching up with that weaponry that Dallas has? I just 
I don't know that they're going to be able to do it. So, and then there's just so many things that Philly needs to go well here. They need a lot of breaks health-wise with guys that just haven't proven the ability to stay on the field. They need massive. Like, they don't need anything in Dallas from CD Lamb, but like Philly needs Jalen Rager to like step in and be a guy right away. So I'm definitely in on what seems to be where the public's shading them here too. He's on the under nine, uh, nine and a half. I don't know that I would bet the under nine necessarily, um, but I do think that like I think that them making the playoffs is uh, is interesting. Um, you know, shoring them to make the playoffs is interesting, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I I, I would probably peg them for more of a nine and seven team, um, or like a you know eight and eight team instead of a a ten and six team. And I think yeah. that that's that's fair, um, but. I don't know. It just like last year, it just seemed like it never clicked for them. You know what I mean? Like it felt like they were always just trying to like climbing out of a hole or like something happened. Like a guy would drop a ball on a big drive or, you know, their secondary would just like slip and like, you know, let up a long touchdown um, or just sucked, you know, and let up a long touchdown, yeah. which happened plenty of times. Like their secondary just got burned. Like, I don't know. I don't necessarily know the metrics off the top of my head in terms of what their actual efficiency was by the end of the year, but I watched every single Eagles game and they got just, they weren't necessarily terrible on a play by play basis, but just got rinsed downfield often. Um, so often. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I got on the Eagles. You got anything more on them? Uh, no. We can move on to the Giants. Uh, another team making a coaching change, bringing in former Patriots special teams coach Joe Judge, bringing over rival, um, former Cowboys coach Jason Garrett to run the offense and call plays. Um, should be very interesting. They obviously wanted to protect their assets in Daniel Jones, their first-round pick last year. Daniel Jones and me. They took a bunch of offensive linemen in this draft, taking, taking them in the first round, third round, fifth round. Um, this is the first article I believe you wrote here for four for four was your take on the Giants under. Um, is that kind of where you're still leaning? I mean, we look at their. I think you oh, wrote yeah. it up at six and a half. Yeah, still yeah. under six oh, yeah. almost everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's what like so. There's still some six and a half floating around at William Hill and Foxbet if you have access to a legal betting market. Um, those are a little bit juiced, but it's like you know reasonable. It's minus one twenty, minus one twenty five. I still think that's worth the play. I really, really don't see a way the Giants win seven games this year. And I think the offense you could make a case for to be ascending. But when you look at a lot of the other factors and especially who they're playing, it's just brutal. So, like, I broke this down a little bit in the article, but I look, I used look-ahead lines that sportsbooks themselves provided. I mean, the Giants are only favorites in two or three games, depending on the book. One of those games is against Arizona – who I think they'll close as an underdog against probably, or at least a pick them. Um, and then the other two games are against Washington, who I think could potentially give them a run for their money, at least on the road. Um, and so using those games and kind of like simulating them using the money line uh, came out with like a win total of 5.9 wins. So just that right off the top, like sports books are already being disingenuous with, you know, their look ahead lines versus their actual um, win total here. And this is like in March when everywhere was at six and a half. Um, now when you actually look at like kind of who they're going to be playing, um, they have to play Dallas and Philly twice at Baltimore, at the Rams, at Seattle, 
And then at home, they still have to play the 49ers, the Tom Brady Buccaneers, and the Steelers in week one. And then that's though all those games are not even considering games which are going to be like toss-ups in my opinion against like Chicago. I mean maybe Cincinnati is pretty much a toss-up because it's at Cincinnati at Chicago. Um, like none of these games are going to be easy. Like these are literally I see maybe an easy home win against the Redskins or Washington. Sorry, um, you know like I I don't really see it happening. Like that's how do they win seven games against this schedule? I mean this was. I don't know. I think you can make a case for like four or five. I think that's kind of like a reasonable projection. Maybe they get lucky in one or two against uh, the good teams, but like they're going to be heavy underdogs against some of these people. Um, and I think one of the biggest things was is like how bad their defense was. And then they hired uh, former Def- Dolphins defensive coordinator Patrick Graham to be their defensive coordinator. So this is the same guy who just allowed led the Dolphins defense to allow 39 passing touchdowns last year and to rank 31st in net passing yards per attempt, 26 in rushing success rate allowed. I mean, he did I mean he did nothing with nothing. Like that's I don't really know how else to describe him. I mean, like, you know, obviously there wasn't talent there, but I, do the Giants have much talent on defense? I would say no. Um and then they got Joe Judge as their head coach who has no head coaching experience, has never even been a defensive or offensive coordinator. I mean, I don't know. I guess you could call him like a leader of the people, but he was like a special teams coordinator uh, for for the Patriots. So, I mean, and then you have uh, like Neolithic head coach Jason Garrett, who the last time he ran an offense was like running these like Stone Age, you know, slow running games where like, you know, you're just stacking the offensive line and running a power front and just running the ball right into the gut of other teams. There's those clips that come to mind where he's like, you know, we're going to win in the trenches. We're going to beat them up front. We're going <laughs> to slam it into them and, you know, pound it into them like that. That's the Jason Garrett that we know. And they've talked about, you know, using his Cowboys strategy um, with this team. And I think it's it's a total mismatch. I think the office of like the whole coaching staff and accumulation is there is just a disaster. I don't hate Daniel Jones. I think that he has upside. I think a lot of the pass catchers are interesting and have upside. But when you kind of look into all of those little factors there, it makes me question how this is going to work like at all, especially given their schedule. I just, I don't see it at all. I'm, I'm well on the under at six and a half. Six, I mean, I still lean under. It's not as good of the number as, you know, I originally got. So that's always tough to not take the value. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not on them at all. I think that came across pretty clearly <laughs> through, the, through the airwaves there. Um, but great, all great points. I mean, the schedule is brutal. 31st in strength of schedule in terms of projected um, win totals according to, to Vegas markets. So uh, for the record, plus 3,800 to make the playoffs if you're <laughs> bullish on them. Uh, you can get them to win this division at 9-1, go to the Super Bowl at 40, and win the whole thing at 80. But the schedule is brutal. Um, like we mentioned, I mean, even those road games, those road games that you're outside the division things are just – they're – they're rough. I mean, they can they can beat the Bears, sure, but I think the Bears are a better football team than they are. Exactly. They can beat the Rams, but I think the Rams are better. Um, you know, those Redskin games, they better or Washington football team games, <laughs> they better lock those bad boys up because the rest of the schedule is is really tough. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they brought on James Bradbury from Carolina. Um, 
Xavier McKinney fell in the draft to them. Those are some additions defensively that helps them a little bit. It's not enough. Um, you know, Blake Martinez, a couple Packer linebackers here, uh, not necessarily enough that uh, that Patrick Graham's going to have to work with. They're, uh, you know, 4-12 last year. There just doesn't seem to be a path to take a massive leap forward here. And um, you mentioned it's kind of clogged. I mean, really didn't see just a full slate of weapons here for Daniel Jones at any point between Saquon injuries, um, you know, Slayton took a little bit of time to emerge, you know, Shepard constantly concussed, you know, Ingram went down, you know, he's coming back from the Liz Frank, you know, Golden Tate missed time. It just, it's a nice group, assuming that they're all on the field. Um, how, what does that do to your projections and how we look at them from the uh, prop market? Yeah, so this is this is tough. I've I mean I did write up actually one of these bets here, um, the under on Darius Slayton. Um, so there's over under right now is 750 and a half. I mean he definitely had a good season last year, um, but when you kind of dug into his target shares and like his when he really excelled, it was when two of you know uh, Shepard, Ingram, or Tate were not on the field, uh, especially Evan Ingram. Like his two blow up games with came without him um, and or Eli Manning at quarterback. So, like, one of those was with Eli. The other was with, like, literally no pass catchers and a banged-up Saquon, who's obviously also a legitimate pass-catching threat. Um, outside of those two games, I mean, he averaged, like, 38 yards per game. Uh, our projection has him at 687 yards. And, like, if you're projecting this receiving core or pass-catching group to have everyone, I mean, available, like, you're looking at him as, like, I don't know, what, the fourth, fifth, best option you know pass catching option on this offense led by daniel jones who's i mean an interesting quarterback and intriguing for sure but he's not someone that i would want to be tethering the fourth best pass catching option to at like 750 and a half yards so yeah i mean i'm i'm on the under there otherwise i think that this is this is actually another example where this um pass catching group all of their over-unders are really really close together so darius slayton 750 and a half uh, Sterling Shepard, 775. Evan Ingram, 700. And Golden Tate, 725 and a half. Um, I don't, who even Gross. leads this team in receiving? Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's all, I think it's kind of fair, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No interest in any of those props. In fantasy, it's like, take the last guy. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, which I think oftentimes has been Golden Tate, which is fine by me. I feel like, um, you know, in our four for four projections seem to agree. Yeah, it just seems to be a um, he's just a tough sob after the catch. And um, yeah, this is a crappy football team. I think still, Daniel Jones has like a feel of like Josh Allen lights. Like he might not have that rushing upside, and he's probably a better mm-hmm. fantasy quarterback than he is a real life quarterback. And those things get super murky on Twitter, where there's no. You know, there's no tonality, and do you, like your audience can be overlapping, and one group can get what you're talking about, and the other one thinks you're a moron. Because <laughs> these guys are, they're just really tough. Like in a fantasy game, they, you know, if you're betting them projections, like you're trying to bet on their prop, like you're you're chasing something different than just a straight up, is this dude good at football? Mm-hmm. Does he make the right decisions? Is he timely? Like all of those things can kind of get murky because we don't necessarily care about that if we just need the over on his prop to hit. 
Yeah, exactly. I think I think worth noting, like to that point, like to a T. So Daniel Jones last year either fumbled or threw an interception in twelve of thirteen games. He had twenty three turnovers in thirteen games last season. Think about how ridiculous that is. I mean, turnover margin is one of the single most important factors in winning a football game, and that's like. But the issue is, it's generally normally random. Like you know, it's hard to predict turnovers, is what like the statistics say from year to year, um, because it's, it is generally random. Unless you have a quarterback like you know, say Jameis Winston or Daniel Jones, who has shown to turn the ball over a lot. Maybe it was just a rookie, you know, or fluke, but. I don't know. I think I think that there's a chance that you know maybe he's just very turnover prone, which is not going to lead to his team winning football games. But if they're playing from behind the whole game, I mean he's he's going to score a lot of fantasy points. Like he's going to be yeah. slinging the ball, running around like crazy, and you know doing fun Josh Allen shit. So I think that it's definitely within his range of outcomes to be, you know, have that disparity between good fantasy quarterback and horrible real life quarterback. Agreed. And Saquon's a monster. I hope we get 16 games of Saquon. Just so as a good. Football fan, just to watch him do his thing. He is unbelievable. And hopefully he benefits from the upgrades of the offensive line. And, you know, those things start to, to build moving forward. I just don't think this is a team that's sniffing the playoffs. And I am backing Connor on the under, on the Giants here, too. Um, even at six, man. I mean, I don't know that I would bet <laughs> under six. Yeah. But I feel like, I feel like this is a six win team kind of at their ceiling this year, to be honest. Just, again, you know, we don't know to look ahead at the schedule too far. So, like, you know, I don't want to pretend that I sit here knowing all to be able to evaluate a schedule to be like, oh, there's no shot that they can win, you know, week 12 against, you know, X, Y. It's just, it's not realistic. But knowing what we know, there would have to be just catastrophe on in the division for them to be able to prop up and get those other two wins. I just don't think they're going to be able to go into Philadelphia. And I think, um, you know, we're counting on Philadelphia to win that game when they host the Giants. I don't think they're going to be able to do that with Dallas. And the Redskins games, I think, are kind of a toss-up. So they're kind of getting off to a difficult start in the division, too. So we'll wrap it up with the last team here, the Washington football team. Lots of change. Um, New coaching staff, new front office, Maybe a new owner eventually. Definitely some new <laughs> ownership. At least some dudes are trying to jump off the ship yeah. faster than the Titanic. And new a new name. Uh, we don't know what to call them. There have been some terrible options floated around the interwebs <laughs> that I'm hoping do not stick. <laughs> but uh, I think everything probably sounds super weird to us now because we just, we're not used to it. So you're like you're putting in whatever name is, and it sounds fishy because it's like, well, that's not the team name, but. Some of these things are just are awful. Yeah. But uh, we should maybe had uh, Pena on the show as our <laughs> resident Washington football fan to let us know what his his thoughts are here. But uh, you know what? I like this team. Uh, I think they are interesting. We can get them. Uh, win total at five, some five and a half out there. Odds to make the playoffs, plus 650 to win the division, plus 1,300 to win the entire NFC and go to the Super Bowl. 70 to 1 and to be Super Bowl champions 150 to 1. So Ron Rivera's in town. Uh, Chase Young's in town, which is nice. You got Scott Turner, nice pedigree, finally getting to come in and call plays for himself uh, as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Jack Del Rio, um, 
might kind of be a doofus in real life, but I think he knows how to <laughs> coordinate a defense um, as long as he logs off of Twitter. And, um, yeah, this team is interesting, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I mean, um, a little into them, uh, over five. What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, but, like, I just don't have too much of an opinion on, like, the skins. Like, who is Dwayne Haskins? You know what I mean? Like, what kind of quarterback play are we going to get out of him? Last year, sure. of the 42 quarterbacks with 100 attempts, Haskins was 37th in success rate and 40th in missed yards per attempt. I mean, like, he wasn't good. I think everyone knows he wasn't good. But I I kind of liked him as a prospect. I thought he was interesting. Um, I don't know if you ever get this vibe, but, like, I get some weird, you know, like, bad vibes from Dwayne Haskins, just like his attitude. Like, you know, when he's on the bench, like, you know, dozing off, when at his draft day he's just, like, furious uh, that he fell, you know, to whatever, 15th um, behind Daniel Jones, but, like, not furious in, like, a am going to light this league up, like, furious in a, like, why can't, why didn't I get picked earlier, like, crying about it, kind of furious. And so, I don't know, I know that's totally, like, a personal bias against him, but ever since I kind of see that, I just, like, I don't really know how I feel about this guy. I think he's kind of interesting, though. I know Lewis Riddick has talked about him, you know, he talked about him a bunch and how well he was able to diagnose plays, how, how well he was able to read the playbook. I mean, Last year's Redskins was just total, like, dumpster fire. Like, you can kind of tell. I think we talked about this on our pods. Like, oh, yeah. they just, like, gave up. Like, they just didn't really care. And, like, I don't think Dwayne Haskins really cared. I mean, he clearly did not care, actually. It was, you know, <laughs> not a thing. Like, he, it was very obvious that he did not give a shit about learning this playbook or learning anything to do with, you know, what it took to lead a football team. So hopefully that attitude has changed. Maybe he's, you know, taking it a little more serious this time. And I think that there's some upside there, like, if he can turn it around, like, the defensive line is nasty. Um, nasty. Yeah, like, very, very good. Um, it can make up for some potential, like, secondary woes. I mean, that's kind of always, like, the the uh, pass rush for secondary, you know, argument that we see on Twitter a lot. Um, like, I think that, you know, that can definitely do wonders for their defense. And the offensive line is, I think, a concern. But I think they can get over it. You know, it's definitely a potential there. Something that I have no idea how to approach and i was going to ask you about this like the running back situation what what who's going to play who's healthy who's not healthy like what is antonio gibson i mean he had 77 career collegiate touches um yeah where are you at that on that matches for- my best ball ownership of antonio gibson <laughs> <laughs> that's my percent of ownership of antonio gibson oh jesus 77 percent. good lord I think it's like 60-something percent Antonio Gibson. All right, well, sell, sell me on Antonio Gibson, Nunes. Well, so, you know, I think this, these are two separate conversations, but um, they are loaded at running back, but basically meaning there's just a lot of dudes there yeah. that aren't necessarily like Darius Geis, Adrian Peterson, J.D. McKissick, Peyton Barber, Bryce Love, um, and then – the aforementioned Antonio Gibson, who I think is just kind of a Swiss Army knife, um, running back, receiver, hybrid. Um, obviously would have liked to have seen him get more touches in college, but I think the dude's electric, and the coaches have been talking him up. Um, he was a big play waiting to happen, and because there really are no dominant running backs there, and there really isn't a clear second receiver necessarily even, I think it may be cleared up a little bit now with Kelvin Harmon going down with the ACL injury kind of makes a little more sense for Steven Sims to emerge there. 
but they're just outside of McLaurin, there doesn't seem to be a clear offensive weapon on that team. And Gibson pops. And, you know, it, coach is talking about him as a the ability to use him like a Christian McCaffrey. Um, you can hand him the ball, you can throw it to him, and he's a dynamic talent. As far as, like, having 61% in best ball 10s on MFL, he's like, it was two months ago and I could get him in like the 16th, 17th round. Um, okay, okay. His cost is dramatically um, gone up. And then like FFPC, you're getting like ninth, 10th, 11th round Gibson. So yep. that's definitely a different opportunity cost. But like, I don't know that I have any of him um, other than like 16, 17, 18th round. Um, so that's kind of why those guys, like I don't care about my ownership percentage with them necessarily. Like that's if fair. he hits, then he just he's yeah you're winning yeah and it's best ball so I don't have to I don't have to figure out the weeks where he pops so that's fair um, sorry to get you sidetracked what do you think about the Redskins as a team like why why are you so excited about them I'm not that I'm excited I just think that they might be equal or better um, than the Giants yeah like they're that defense I can get on board with is, that yeah and that's it really right so like we're looking at we're talking about six and a half and six for the Giants, whereas the you know Washington's five, five and a half. Um, yeah, I, just, I feel like that unit on the defensive side of the football was better than really anything that the Giants have, because we talked a little bit about Daniel Jones. The offensive line is was addressed in the draft, but it has to take a step forward there. Whereas, like I know what Jonathan Allen and Chase Young and Kerrigan and and Montez Sweat like. That's a potentially dominant front four. Um, Good linebackers too. Um, yeah, I mean Thomas Davis. I know he's like eighty years old, but like in the locker room, I feel like that's a good guy. Landon Collins is solid. You know, Kendall Fuller is solid. Like I just I like the defense. So I think Haskins. I think what's interesting with Haskins is that he, everyone that was in charge of bringing him there, outside of Daniel Slater, obviously is gone, and. You know, it's interesting to see when that co- that happens when a coach takes over for a guy that's in maybe his second or third year that has you know high draft capital. Like, are they invested in ensuring that this guy is a thing? And I don't know that they necessarily are, but I think that he is solid too. I was just like you. Like I thought he was an interesting prospect coming out. I think overall he wasn't great. Um, I don't have it in front of me. I should have taken some notes and prepared for the show, Connor. But I remember. <laughs> I think it's Eric Eager. Um, some guys from PFF are talking about like again. I don't want to talk about a four-game sample size, but he was decent at the tail end of the year. Um, and again, really, it was they had a lot of injuries and they really didn't have anything else going on. So if they have any semblance of a running game from you know Geis and Peterson and a sprinkling of Gibson, utilizing Gibson as a third down back with Chris Thompson moving on to Jacksonville. And if not, he's got a guy he's familiar with that we all had to see a little bit too much of last year is Kyle Allen, who knows the offense sitting right behind him, which would make me, again, less bullish on Washington. It just is a matter of, I think Haskins can step forward. I think um, McLaren is a baller. And, I mean, I think we all like what we've seen from Geis when he's been able to stay in the field. He was very interesting you know, down at LSU. I mean, if LSU, those teams would have been as good as this last iteration was like, he's got a lot of like Edward. It's hilarious. It was game. Like he just is that like yeah. small stocky 
three down back, and I think he's very interesting. So I don't think that they're a playoff team. Uh, I don't think there's anything like that, but I think that they can get to six wins. Um, that's kind of why I'm in on the, the over. That makes sense. So, okay, so we know they brought in Kyle Allen. Like, how short do you think the leash is on Dwayne Haskins? Like, what would it take for him to be benched? Like, what do you think? Like, one or two wins halfway through the season? Like, you know, I don't know. Does he last the whole season or would he have to get injured? Like, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like he would have to be, like, really, really, really bad to, like, for him, mm-hmm. like, to get pulled for Kyle Allen. But, I don't know, you know. I, I mean, because okay, they open up at the Eagles at home. I mean, they're gonna lose, but you know, maybe they can make it interesting. Um, on they the, can make it. Remember, they did last year. They, right? they did. And that was at Philly. Yeah. That was a parlay crusher. Throwing bombs year. to freaking McLaurin. Um, yep. Yeah. No, I remember I was all all in on the Eagles that last year, and that was just not a good start to the year. Um, but I mean, then they're going on the road. They have a back-to-back road games against the Cardinals and the Browns, two teams who aren't necessarily like awesome, but I mean, you know, they're I think they're significantly or at least definitely better than the the Washington. So like, I don't know. I think that Washington has to take like a pretty big step up. Like their defense has to be good, and Haskins, you know, has to take another step forward. Otherwise, this team. I mean, then you're looking at against the Ravens, the Rams. The Giants, so you know that's toss up slash they probably lose, but it's on the road, and then they're playing the Cowboys, so that's like all before they're by week eight. Um, I mean, I think that if they don't win, if they win one game here, I think they might consider a quarterback change. Like that would be probably you know where maybe they would yeah. consider it. Everything has a lot to do with how he plays too, so not just yeah. wins and losses, but obviously if they're losing, something's going wrong in there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like I said, I don't think it's a good team, and I. I don't think they're getting the seven wins, but do I think they can get to six? You know, or yeah, I think that they could probably get to six. Um, yeah. Again, I just think that they're they're comparable. That defense is going to be a problem at times. They're going to be able to create a pass rush. Um, they're going to be, I'm imagining, above average against the run. So I mean, that is is a massive upgrade. They were bottom third in both pass D and rush D DVOA last year. So, uh, but again. Completely changing the guard there with the entire staff. So sometimes you just see, and maybe we'll see in this division, I mean, we have three examples of it where that fresh blood comes in. And, um, I mean, it it felt like Jay Gruden didn't want to be there even. It just felt like a bad vibe. The team, like it just, it was, it was gross. So was he like caught like out partying or something like that? Um, like halfway through the season, uh, I feel like that's that. I don't know if it was that was. year, but he was like out, like hanging out with like twenty year olds, just like slaying. Uh, yeah, I mean, good for him. Shooting his back shot, old English. Yeah. yeah, definitely did not give a fuck. Um, no. We have a McLaurin prop too, which I thought was, uh, I mean, wow for the sports books, a thousand and fifty yards. Uh, I mean, like, I love McLaurin, but that is, like, that's aggressive for a guy who, like, I mean, I feel like a lot of us are projecting a big breakout, and, like, he was good, but I don't know. It just seems like, it seems like that's a high line to be setting compared to, you know, a lot of the other guys who I thought were a little bit more proven, um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, that's that seems, like, super high. Like, you're talking about him in the same range as DJ Moore, Allen Robinson, Odell Beckham, Amari Cooper, Robert Woods. Like, those are all guys who are line is set at 1,050 yards. Those are, I would say, much more proven wideouts um, than a guy like McLaurin. So, 
I mean, take that as you like. Maybe a good sign for fantasy guys drafting McLaurin or, you know, maybe a, a fade for us on props. But honestly, I, I like him enough that I think he can definitely exceed that. But at that price, you know, I, w- I was kind of hoping to get him more towards the A.J. Brown range, like, like 950, 975 over under. Um, and I would definitely be all over that. But, yeah, 1,050, I'm probably not touching it. A little rich for sure. Yeah. yeah. So – Feels like we're both on the Cowboys to win this division. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it. I don't know. I guess minus one hundred six isn't bad, but like, I don't know. I think I w- I think I would probably wish that the Cowboys and Eagles were a little closer together in terms of odds. But yeah, I like the Cowboys to win the division. Probably not something I'm betting though, to be honest. Yeah, I like them. I like them a lot. I mean, I think we're going to get to it when we go through the AFC. Like, the AFC feels, we, you know, we know that there's massive change every year, but it kind of feels pretty clearly like the Chiefs and the Ravens are ahead of everybody in the AFC. Um, the NFC feels a little bit more wide open, and I really feel like the Cowboys are in the mix here at 10-1 to 1 to, to win the whole thing and go to the Super Bowl. Um, but again, I, I feel like there's... Six teams that are kind of in that mix. Um, I just feel like they are definitely the one in this division that can do that. So I think really the interesting thing here is really the only discussion is like, does Philly make the playoffs? And expanding to the seventh team probably helps them a lot. But I think we both are in agreement that the Washington team and the Giants are not playoff contenders. No, they are like first pick of the draft next year contenders. Yeah, I legit think that the Giants are going to be close. Like I think that they there's a chance they have a top five pick. Um, and who knows from there, you know, might, might unravel. Mm-hmm. So awesome. You got anything else for the people? Not too much. I mean, I think that we covered most of this division. I'm, I'm excited to keep going here. These are, these are fun, you know, good way to look at the division and dive into each player prop and the division odds. So yeah, I'm excited to keep going. We'll be doing these every week until the season starts. Yep. And again, we're trying to keep it you know, betting focused, um, but it's four for four. We're fantasy sites. We're talking player props. So it gets a little murky in there too. Um, hang with us. If you're just looking for one or the other, we're trying to, <laughs> we're trying to merge and figure this out on our own. Too, so, um, we can't help it. We play fantasy. So we t- sometimes look at these players and their projections and player props through the fantasy lens as well. So um, yeah, Connor mentioned, we're going to continue this. We'll be back. Next week, we'll be doing these all the way into the season. One a week coming up in your podcast feed. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Please subscribe, rate and review whenever you get a chance. We appreciate that. Any feedback, um, guest suggestions, anything like that, we are happy to hear it. Um, We look forward to uh, coming back and doing it again soon. Thanks, everyone.